From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. I'm a Catholic liturgy nerd, and so there is nothing I love more than the Easter Triduum, starting with the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday, then into the bitter, heavy celebration of the Lord's Passion on Good Friday, and then to the unparalleled drama of the Easter fire and baptizing new Christians at the vigil on Saturday night. The one big danger for me this time of year is that I'm a distractible person, and I've heard the stories of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection so many times now. I'm always afraid the stories will just go in one ear and out the other. To paraphrase the words of T.S. Eliot, I'm worried I'll have the experience, but miss the meaning. Sometimes approaching a familiar story like the Passion in a new way can make all the difference. And my guest today has just released a brand new musical project that does just that. J.J. Wright is a composer, pianist, and director of the Notre Dame Folk Choir. This Lent season, J.J. and the Folk Choir, in collaboration with professional musicians, writers, and producers, released The Passion. The project is a 95-minute fully staged production that depicts the disciples on Holy Saturday as they retell the events of Jesus' last days. Using contemporary musical forms to get into the story in a new way really made me pray and reflect with the Passion narratives with new depth and attention. Now, Notre Dame isn't a Jesuit university, of course, but the project is an extremely powerful example of Ignatian imaginative prayer. I think the work does a great job of really bringing you into the scene yourself. I asked JJ about how the work came to be and about how putting together something so big and ambitious affected the way he hears the passion story himself. JJ did share some of the recordings with us, and so you'll hear some of the music during our conversation. And you can also find and listen to the passion wherever you get music, including services like Spotify. I hope the recording might become part of your own Holy Week prayer this year and in years to come. Thanks for joining us. Well, JJ Wright, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, no, I'm excited to have you. I've listened to the the new uh, work. I don't even know what to call it. It's not even really like a piece. It's kind of like an opera, kind of not. Yeah. Album? Oratorio. Yeah. Oratorio. It's hard to Oratorio. say. Oratorio. Yeah. 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 No, which Radio is it's play. awesome. Radio play, yeah, yeah and we can get into some of that. But anyway, it's called The Passion. It's just come out uh, in Lent. Uh, you're taking it on tour uh, in in March, uh, which is which is awesome. Uh, and it is, and we'll get into it details. But it's such like there's, I've never heard anything like it. Mm. Um, and so I just maybe we could start like how did this come to be? This is a massive project. How did this come to be? Yeah. Um, well, uh, we did a project called O Emmanuel back in 2014, 15, 16. That resulted in an album with the Notre Dame Children's Choir, and um, the original genesis of the passion was to kind of build on that. So it was a collaboration with the Notre Dame Children's Choir. And the idea was like, how can we build a faith-based environment for young people to learn how to talk about hard things? And so um, the director, Dr. Mark Dorries, and I started to just like look through scripture and, and kind of figure out like what would be a cool way to 
to introduce the kids to this idea and uh, ultimately led to the passion. Of course, the, uh, the scriptural story everyone knows, but also in sacred music and in kind of performance art, if you will, the passion has been rendered um, hundreds of different ways um, throughout time. So um, we have a long tradition in, in sacred music of passions being set uh, famously by Bach or um, or even like Jesus Christ Superstar, right? Or um, the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie, right? These these popularized representations of the story. Um, so that was that was how we originally started. Um, COVID happened, of course. Um, so the project was entirely done, and COVID um, shattered it. And um, at the same time. Um, we were looking for um, something to introduce the students in the folk choir to because uh, we weren't really able to sing. Um, it was just beginning COVID. Everyone was terrified of choral singing because some people got really sick from that. And um, But we still had our ministry going and, and we wanted to engage the students uh, in this time when things weren't going right. So um, we introduced um, kind of the framework of what Tristan Cooley and I, who's the librettist of the piece, had developed kind of among ourselves to students. We started having small kind of faith sharing groups on the libretto we created. Um, we would ask them to listen to the music. We invited them into some of the really difficult conversations that um, were part of the development. So my own kind of um, connection to the world, if you will, was the clergy sexual abuse crisis. And I was trying to wrap my head around, like, how, how could this possibly have happened? Um, and how is it even possible to be a Catholic when um, this is something that's part of uh, who we are, part of the church? Um, and so um, kind of mining through the passion next to the clergy sexual abuse crisis created this dialogue that um, really kind of helped me have a better sense of um, how the passion might apply or, or how we might kind of use it to to look at the world. Um, so, yeah, so long story short, we um, we started to invite the students into these conversations and that just kind of led to this incredible creative like awakening. Um, and uh, we started inviting students into the process, into writing lyrics, into writing poetry and um, invited other professional musicians as well to do some of the composition and some of the development of the ideas, theologians. Um, and yeah, uh, here we are. We've we've created kind of like this this album, which we went to Israel last year to record um, in May, and then we've turned it into a fully staged live production with lights and projections and a live band and sixty people in the chorus. And um, and yeah, we're just we're really excited to be able to kind of share all this work um, finally with with everyone. Yeah, again, like so, your name's on the cover, but as you were describing, it is so many contributors and again this collaborative process is like really fascinating to yeah. me and just to maybe to help like set the scene for folks um again we'll be able to share the some music with with them and they can find it wherever they get music and if they're close enough to be able to go and see on tour uh, hopefully they'll get to see it live but what so you come in or you start listening what are you experiencing kind yeah set the scene for us yeah i like to say uh i like to say it's like an old school radio play um like or an audio drama right so you have these two characters, John and Magdalene, and um, they play the role of like who would be the traditional evangelist in the Passion, the person who says, and then Jesus said X, and then Peter responded X. And so um, immediately you kind, of, you kind of have this personalized experience because they are um, in the upper room on Holy Saturday. 
and their best friend, of course, has just been killed, and the door is locked, and they're terrified. It's so dark in here. This room seems smaller now. Now that he's been... here the rest of us here and um of course this is emblematic of our own experience at the beginning of covid like what what can we do right we're, we're locked in this place and what does it mean to um kind of respond in faith to horror um and um so as you progress through the story john and magdalene tell us uh they narrate us through with with spoken parts and acted parts, but then you get these choral interjections from the the full chorus. And then you get these moments of respite that are like singer songwriter style songs, um, kind of straight up and. Um, this is something we, we kind of stole from Bach um, a little bit where the, the singer songwriter style songs are kind of like the arias um, in, mm. in Bach's St. Matthew Passion. Um, but we those those kind of moments are respite, are, of course, are part of the passion story itself as well, like um, either devotionally or scripturally, like Veronica, for example, who comes and and wipes Jesus's face or Simon of Cyrene, who helps Jesus stand up when he falls. And um, these moments that. Um, they invite us to see a certain tenderness in this awful situation. And as we dug into the passion more and more, we we saw the the real tension between um, the the hardest parts of it and then this kind of tender response, both from Jesus and from his friends and from the the women on the road with him. and um, and we wanted to hold those two things in tension. So, yeah, that's kind of the overall lay of the land. You make your way from Palm Sunday through the crucifixion and anointing and um, and it ends with kind of this, um, if in really kind of blunt terms, like this call to action, which is the Eucharist. Um, the, it's the sign that we have um, to be able to grow grow closer in communion. And, and that is the way that we felt like we could respond to the passion. Hmm. So uh, you've talked already about some of the, like this great tradition of passion plays, right? In different forms, musically, in cinema, like even, you know, put on by the youth group at church on Good Friday mm-hmm. afternoon. Um, so I'm curious for you, like, as you see this work situated within that tradition, like, where is the continuity? And then also, how do you see it kind of breaking new ground? Like, wh- how is it unique within this huge canon? Yeah, I think it's unique in that it kind of takes the the common churchgoers experience and dramatizes it. Like one of the reasons we, um, I, I wanna talk a little bit about the collaborative process that you were getting at and kind of what it means for an artist to enter into that, um, in that like, it was never really my vision um, for there to be spoken roles. Um, and as we started to understand more about like, um, and listen, as we started to listen to the students and our other collaborators, there was this real desire to let the familiarity of Palm Sunday gospel and Good Friday gospel reading inspire the way that this um, would flow like presentationally. Um, so that was where the impetus was for this spoken thing. It's already a familiar environment if you're if you're a person who um, participates like in Holy Week. Um, yeah, I mean, the, also the, the music that we 
um, created, um, we tried to make it music for now. So um, you kind of have this sort of contemporary classical flair to some of the music um, that's very, very 2023, we think. And then the idea that we would take um, popular songs is is not at all a, a popular sounding songs, I should say, is not at all a new idea. Um, certainly not in sacred music, um, but it's it's a it's an idea that can be very charged, of course, in in the modern church. Um, but um, our our motivation there really was to um, embody those moments of respite, to give people a rest in something familiar, and to maybe be able to kind of just let their mind wander into the music and see what the emotions that drove these songs um, led them towards. Yeah, I mean, you speak of emotion, and there is such a range, which I love in the the work, because you have such a range in the the passion story, right? Sort of think about, like, the the kind of excitement of Palm Sunday, very quickly followed by, like, you know, this the confusion uh, at Holy Thursday, the, mm-hmm. the sorrow, the maybe glimmers of hope and redemption coming, but not until you go through the the depths and um even like the chaos i one of the things i really loved in the piece the work is in those shouts of the crowd right so you have music with like also then these kind of the shouts so you have yeah. a, it's almost cacophonous right mm-hmm. to kind of reflect what's going on there and so yeah just what what did you want to what were like the feelings you wanted to capture and how did you like go about that musically trying to really show the variety, the highs and lows of, of this, you know, yeah. this week? Well, you know, my background is as a jazz musician. So um, one of the things that we we uh, spend all of our time doing is just uh, learning how to improvise and learning how to take kind of segments of music that are suggested um, from a piece of paper and, and form them into a, a cohesive idea that's new in a particular moment. Um, and one of the beauty, one of the beautiful things about jazz music is that it's in an ideal world, it's always new, right? You're you're trying to craft a new experience with the community that you're with on stage or in the and in the audience. And I wanted the students to have that experience um, because experientially, um, there's something really profound. I don't know if I have quite the words um, to describe it, but there's something really profound about being part of something new, something that's never happened, something that will never happen again. Um, some people would maybe call this, you know, being moved by the spirit or something like that. And when you, when you, uh, incorporate that into a musical, um, a musical environment, it changes you, um, because it, you, you feel things that you never felt yet in your life. And, um, and there are things that you might, uh, might never feel again. They become reference points, guideposts for you to aspire towards almost. Um, and that was one of the beautiful things about the trip to Jerusalem, because, Obviously, not every, uh, especially dealing with with 18 to 22 year olds, um, you know, not every experience is going to be this mountaintop thing where you literally construct a new passion from the ground up and then you go to the place that it happened to record it. It's outrageous. But the beautiful thing about an experience like that is that it it points us towards what's possible in the future. And what, in my opinion, what better way to kind of help young people be formed in their faith, that faith than to know um, what they might be able to contribute to the church. Um, so, but back to the the kind of practicality of your question, like we did create these environments. They're called musically, like the the nerd hat would say. They're it's like aleatoric music, um, and aleatoric means um, or one of the ways we would do it is you you write a box kind of on the traditional five line staff, and inside of that box you have an instruction that says sing this at will, however you would like in this character. And then you put five or six notes 
and you, your your words might be there's one section for example it says um uh we have been abandoned right and so the idea is that that you can say this over and over and you can kind of um, let the energy build in a completely original way each time you perform that section so these were some of the techniques that we used throughout the piece to really make the experience for the choir immersive and also it creates a certain level of discomfort too that you have to encounter every time um, you're invited to participate in one of these aleatoric sections which is also very apropos of what the passion asks of us too i think you talked about how you know these can be transformative experiences performing recording preparing composing but there's also at the same time a story that we hear every year it's you know oh, like almost overdone like, we can easily just say like okay yeah i know what happens there right i've heard that story enough times i know the detail so i'm curious for you uh, in the process of putting it together this whole this whole process and then in your interaction with students how has it changed you are there like any kind of do you hear the story differently now do you do you see it connected to your own life differently are the students talking about that I'm, i am curious about how yeah. it's what the effect it has had on you yeah it's um the best way to put it is that it just has it, it has broken my heart uh in mm. in all the ways and i'm not a you know publicly sentimental person so i hate to say that even but um <laughs> But every time I encounter the passion, it breaks my heart. And um, and then I'm faced with the question of what do I do with this broken heart? Um, because it's not necessarily a bad thing to have your heart broken, right? It, 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 our, our, heart, our heart can get um, broken open when it's broken. Um, and uh, for me, one of the, the best um, examples of this experience was um, when we were in the Holy Land and um, it was the Sunday that we were there. And so we wanted to celebrate mass, of course. And um, we had this opportunity to go to the place where the, the original upper room is. And uh, if you've been to, to Jerusalem, you know that every place is kind of the original X. Um, mm. So, um, but this, this one archeologically is, is pretty solid. And so, um, but it's, I think it's an Armenian Catholic or Orthodox church actually are the people who um, who manage and run the, the place. And it's called St. James, I believe. And um, and we, so we got the chance to go there and we, we celebrated a Catholic mass there, which um, the deacon who hosted us said was the first Catholic mass um, ever celebrated there um, uh, since the Last Supper, um, which is, is great. Um, and uh, it was just this incredible experience where um, we had a wonderful um, trip leader with us named Kayla August and, and the um, presider of the mass, um, you know, he preached for a minute at the homily, but then he really turned it over to her because of, of what it would mean for her to be able to preach in this space and what it would mean for the students to be able to um, be part of that reflection that she offered in the space. Um, but after, you know, this is after three or four years of the whole project and the whole premise of the piece is this kind of meta narrative of being in the upper room and what does it mean to break out of this place? And, um, and what does it mean for not just break out of it, but for this to be like our home base? Um, this is where kind of our family lives. Um, and so um, I was in this mass and, and uh, the librettist Tristan was up there and he read the first reading. And when he read the first reading, it was kind of like one of those movie moments where the whole thing flashed back. And I just wept like a child for, for an hour straight. And I just couldn't mm -hmm. hold it. I'm not, I'm not a big crier. Uh, and it was the most wonderful experience to be able to um, to feel that emotion and to be able to have that emotion kind of grounded in the story of faith and, and to be able to truly kind of enter into that space um, 
with with the community and um, and have that experience together. So yeah, I I think it's it's hard to talk about and it's it's a hard experience, but it's very life giving to to have your heart broken. Sure. Can you talk about any of the individual movements or, or songs or, or things that you know, like you can kind of feel, I'm sure it's your directing, um, where feelings like that might well up, even in the whole, you can feel it in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Which is something I love about a live performance. Like, you can you can feel the people watching kind of catching their breath. You can feel the the choir, some energy changes. Um, so yeah, are there any of those those kind of moments you can share with us? And then we'll be able to, we can put some of that audio yeah. in too. Yeah, there's um there's a moment in the um in the Garden of Gethsemane actually that um is a great um example. Like firstly, the the kind of song that's in the middle of that, we called it the Garden Song. And um that song was kind of our first foray into collaborating with one of our students, Anna Stodd is her name. And um uh, she graduated in May and is now in the ACE program um through Notre Dame, um teaching um down in Alabama and uh, she graciously kind of just jumped in with me and Tristan. And um, one of the kind of discoveries that we made about the garden scene, of course, is that um, Jesus goes up the mountain to pray, but he brings Peter, James, and John with him. And um, this is also a, a kind of throwback to the Transfiguration, right? Where um, they go up the mountain, they go up Mount Tabor, and it's a very different type of experience with with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And and Jesus is is turned into this heavenly body and glowing and in the garden, Jesus is sweating blood. Um, and so instead of um, thinking of the apostles as falling asleep, um, we had this insight that they they couldn't, it was so uncomprehensible that they couldn't look. They had to close their eyes because of what it, what it presented to them to see their friend in this torment. I just love that um this is such a great example of the collaboration right because this type of uncovering came when the three of us sat together on zoom and read the scripture and and we thought about what what do we want it's it's jesus's prayer really is what the garden song is um and um uh and and the refrain of this song is um shall i and then the choir um echoes and they say shall we accept this tenderness and the realization of um, Jesus's prayer being this um, willingness to to see the tenderness of God in his passion and death. Um, obviously, it flips all the the narratives on its head, right? It makes no sense. It's a paradox in itself. But um, this is quickly followed by um, the song itself is is a beautiful experience. We we love to sing it. Um, it's very relatable and um, it's immediately followed by this other kind of song where the choir is singing these low chords and 
Um, what they're saying is we have abandoned him kind of in the voice of the apostles. Jesus comes back and um, and they're echoing his words. And um, and this this kind of also alludes to um, the whole idea of the clergy sexual abuse crisis. And and what does it mean that not only did these things happen, um, this abuse happened, but then our our response at times in the church was to turn our backs on the survivors of these things or to um, to move people around, to cover it up, to to do all the things that we know have happened. Um, and as lay people, kind of, and as young people in the church in 2023, it doesn't do us any good to kind of turn our backs on that and think that we're not part of that. Obviously, we didn't abuse in that way. And, and it for many of these students, these things only happened before they were born even. But we have to find some way to contend with this reality. And especially for a young person, it was very, very important to me to be able to to share with them this idea that like this is part of our story. And if we can't find a way to be with it, um, it's going to eat us up and we're not going to be able to be in it for the long haul um, with the church. So this is interesting to me as like thinking about this process of collaboration, say toward a, a, one of the a piece like that. We're not just talking about you with a couple of other writers in a room, like trying to put like a, you know, the best song together. Uh, but you talked about, like, in the, the liner notes, too, like, you're, you're having retreats, there are small group conversations, they're, like, students kind of sharing how they, what they are catching, paying close attention to the scripture, what they're catching in the, the passion narrative. So maybe get, could we go a little bit deeper into yeah. that, that process of collaboration? Again, not just, like, sitting around and, like, throwing tracks back and forth, but there is something, like, kind of going deep and intentional and then, like, letting the work kind of flow from that. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's this constant insistence that we, when whenever we gathered in a room, uh, it was on us, kind of the quote unquote professionals, as much it was on, as it was on the students to find something new, right? We can all like replay the tape of an insight we had a couple years ago when it comes to scripture, but um, something different happens when you put yourself in the same position as the people that you're um, f- forming. Um, and um, so like and the the kind of pilot with with Anna that I talked about, we um, we formalized it a little bit more for the next semester. And we kind of created these five teams of, so- of songwriters. And um, and Tristan and I really took them through the process of what it might mean to um, enter into a scene, find yourself in that scene um, and then feel what it w- might really feel like to be that person in that scene, which, of course, is is very Ignatian. And, and that was our goal, too. Um, this this idea of Ignatian contemplation with the scripture, um, use, you know, even this, that's a collaboration, right? With St. Ignatius, These, we're using borrowed materials. So yeah, we wanted, we wanted the collaboration to be just as much faith formation as it was kind of creative exploration. And, um, and that, you know, that required of all of us to kind of, um, we like to say that it, the passion is kind of like the perfect intergenerational environment to talk about hard things when you can learn the story and you can start to see yourself in it it becomes a safe place for people to talk about themselves through the characters without kind of overexposing themselves so of course it's always a a trick when you're when you're working in faith formation with people who are different ages to like you know you you have to be careful what you say right um but when the scripture becomes the lens with which we or through which we can talk about our experience, um, 
it, it, it bec- it's a really profound kind of transformation happens. It helps us enter into it more deeply, of course, but it, it also protects the, it protects us in the different um, seats that we're sitting in or with the different hats that we wear. And um, that was a really fruitful environment to be able to work with the students in because it allowed any of our professionals, any of our kind of theologians, our professors, um, no matter what kind of age or state of life you were in, to be in conversations with our students and to be able to make them creative and um, life-giving and productive kind of towards this larger goal that we had. So these young people, you know, students in their late teens, early 20s, in 2020, what were some of the things you were hearing, like some of the themes that were coming out about what, how were they kind of connecting to the passion narrative through this process? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think some of the things that we, well, I mean, um, in May of 2020 was when George Floyd was murdered. And so um, instantly uh, that was, I mean, we all saw what happened nationally, of course, but our own students had a microcosm of, of that reality and um, just absolute disgust and um, regret and, and re- a real sense of like um, shared responsibility as well. Um, which was a beautiful response, I think, to to all that happened there. Um, so, um, you know, we did our best to try to bring conversations of racial justice into this same lens. Um, I, I was slow to the process, you know, like um, as I was kind of stuck on the clergy sexual abuse crisis being the lens. And I really wanted to be able to contribute that. But one of the ways that the collaboration kind of changed me, if you will, was that like I can come with my lens um, and that lens can still be useful to other people because if they use the same methodology, they, they're going to find something different for themselves in it. And so that's where these other kind of thematic um, topics found their way in. Um, the garden scene became a place where we talked a lot about environmental justice and climate change and, um, uh, and the care for our common home. And, um, and students are very passionate about that right now. And, and they want to find ways that um, it connects to their faith and they want to find ways that that connects with their relationship with God as well. Um, another kind of um, major theme throughout the Passion was just the role of women in the Passion, and but in a larger sense, the role of women in the church. And a lot of the students were very interested in um, uh, kind of exploring what that meant and, and letting the, the people in the story of the Passion be the models for what it means um, to kind of be, uh, to, to be with Jesus. In, in his time of greatest need. Um, and so you see through all throughout the passion story, um, uh, I, I think and one of our narrators, of course, is Mary Magdalene, which is not a thing that you would find in any other passion, I don't think. And um, and we thought it was really important that you had kind of John and Mary Magdalene co, co-lead the, the story for us. Um, and uh, another thing you'll find is um, kind of the the, the catalyst for almost all the things that happen in the Passion after you leave the upper room is Bethany. So, of course, Bethany, um, just to refresh our memories on the story, Jesus goes to Bethany and Martha and Mary are there. And, of course, we have all these um, silly tropes about Martha being super busy and, and Mary being um, the person who pays attention to Jesus. And and we have this very dramatic thing happens happen where Mary shatters this vessel with this incredibly valuable oil. And she anoints Jesus with the oil because she knows that Jesus is going to die. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany to die with Martha and Mary. 
Somehow she has this insight, or maybe even more simply, Mary is the only one listening to all the things that Jesus has been saying for the past couple of years. And um, of course, uh, instantly the apostles, they freak out. I can't believe you would do this. Why would you waste this? We could have given it to the poor. And then Jesus, of course, responds like, don't, don't you see what she's done? Like she has done the greatest thing. And then uh, the, one of the ways that we tried to carry this through line is that of course, Jesus responds similarly to his to his um, apostles around the table um, during the Last Supper. Gathered, I carry bright holes in my heart. Enough burn to light up the room. My body arrived without knowing the way. sense he takes what Mary of Bethany offered to him and he offers it forward um, to his friends this this sort of greatest act of love and then um, at the end after Jesus has died um, Jesus is anointed in the same way now the disciples are finally able to kind of anoint Jesus wash him clean after the the drama of seeing um, the whole story unfold but you have these things um, these refrains in the piece Mary of Bethany they say she washed him when Jesus washes the disciples, they say this refrain of he washed them, and then finally we washed him. No wound buried, unannealed, return to where the stone would seal. Wrapped him up in aloes with linens covered every blow. similar type of music and, and thematically related for this very reason. We want to show the way in which um, certain characters in the story, and especially um, Mary of Bethany and other women in the story, have um, made this, made it go. They are the essential engine that, that allowed this to happen. And, and this was, a, I think, a really empowering um, lens for our students to look through. 
Hmm. Yeah, for me, listening to it and all this together reminded me the most recent musical I saw was Hades Town mm. on Broadway, which I saw some. I heard some echoes uh, here. Something taking these ancient ancient stories, putting them into like a new idiom, having a narrative, but also but kind of presented poetically as opposed to like necessarily like a straight retelling. Um, that sort of emotional range. And I did find myself like, oh, like this, especially that Bethany scene that you're describing, like that had never hit me with the kind of emotional heft mm. before. And there was something about, again, the kind of being it shared in the, the, you know, the musical idiom that it was that really it did that to me. And I will say like listening to the, the music in general too, like it's complex. Like this is a challenge to sing, mm. a challenge to play. I'm sure for the students, um, it's challenging rhythmically. There's a lot of things happening. I could see, hear your jazz uh, background yeah. in there, right? It's, um, it's challenging melodically. That would be a, just ask a lot of the singers, and um, you could, I'm sure, could have done something that was a little more straightforward musically. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about the, yeah, the, this form, how it kind of comes out music sonically, and like why for you, like that kind of complexity um, was important? Yeah, I think kind of along the same lines um, as we were just talking. Like, so some of the other um, collaborators, um, Ike Sturm um, was one of our composers, Frankie Rousseau was one of our composers as well. Um, and then of course, Tristan Cooley um, stewarded the libretto. Um, and um, Frankie and Ike and I and Tristan share a similar background in jazz and, and the kind of type of music that we love. But um, I think part of what we were, and any artist would hope this, I think, um, just as we welcomed the students into this collaborative process, we also wanted to be welcomed in as, as who we are. And, um, you know, um, artists are very particular people, right? Like we feel things in a particular way and we, we long for ways to share that, um, through our art. And, um, I, I, I think the best thing I can say is that, um, we invited artists in the same way because we invited them in the same way that we invited the students. We, we accepted kind of the gifts that they offered. Um, just like we accepted the gifts that the students offered and the real work of it became, we had too much, right? We had too much material. Um, there's there's literally a, a terabyte in a Google Drive that is this project. And most of that stuff is documents, right? Like um, some videos here and there, but man, there's a ton of material. And um, our, one of our refrains that we kept asking ourselves, anytime something was presented that kind of wasn't in the style that we wanted, or it was, um, it was something different than we expected, we always went back, how can this be used? And, and really trying to honor all of the gifts that every person was offering um, along the way, because that to us was this emblem of communion, right? In, in communion, we all bring who we are to the table and, uh, and freely offer it to God and, and, and offer it to one another. So just maybe now kind of turning to the perspective of a, a listener and curious for someone hopefully who can maybe make this part of a their holy week observance this year the lenten observance and um just so for you if you're kind of setting it up for them as like a, a kind of a listening guide uh, how would you uh, recommend to someone kind of sitting down to listen to this it does seem like something you want to kind of sit down not something necessarily to be listening to driving or to be breaking up but like really to devote that time so maybe that's one tip uh to approach it um what, what are some of the yeah the the tips you would give to a listener sitting down for the first time with this totally yeah and uh i, I think one of the big things is like it's just familiarity like 
we, with our kind of release campaign, we tried to put out these singles ahead of time that were some of the material that we thought was most um, inviting sonically. And, um, and these songs, if you kind of look through the track list, you'll see like Mary's song or Veronica's song or the garden song and anything that's, it, it's, it comes out of that, that process I was telling you about. Um, and I think these are the, the ways for, um, for someone to kind of dip their toe in and see like, um, so much of, of what we hope to do is just get somebody to put it on and decide if they like it. Not everyone's going to like it. Um, and that's okay. And, um, and, but ultimately, we hope that these songs might be something that draws you in a little bit more. And maybe you want to listen to a, a movement of it, one of, one of the scenes, right? You want to, oh man, how does the foot washing scene go? I'd be curious to hear that. And, um, and you can really listen to it in any order because we all know the story so well. So it's not like you're, you're going to spoil the experience if you listen to the crucifixion first. Um, crucifixion is the hardest thing to listen to. I will say that. Um, but um, I, I think that could be some of the way in. And then, you know, I was talking to my wife's aunt the other night and um, and she was like, oh, I'm so excited to see it, you know, and and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm excited too. And, and she's like, you know, I just I've been listening to it and I just want to keep listening to it because before I come and see it, I want to know it. And I want to be able to participate in that kind of original experience that will happen in a live performance from the perspective of someone um, who knows it. And she's like, I did the same thing when I went to go see Hamilton. I wasn't going to kind of go into the show cold. I wanted to know all the details so that I could notice even more. And, um, I think it's 95 minutes long. It's a, it's a bear to get through, uh, admittedly. Um, but, um, it's the kind of thing that I, we hope you could go back to over and over and find new things every single time. Just like when you read the passion scripture, uh, I think, you know, the intent of the gospel was that we could always go back to the scripture and find something new. Yeah, no, certainly. And I can, I can already say from listening to it just kind of once in some parts, a few times that it's already for me, like reframing my experience of the passion this year, bringing it into like to new light in the way that I think art can do as a, a way in to take it off the page and to make it like incarnate in a, in a new way. So I just thank you for that. And I do hope that folks are able to, to hear it. And so congratulations, uh, JJ on bringing this into the world for, to share with, uh, so many people and, and best of luck uh, on the tour. And again, thank you for the, really this gift. Yeah. Mike, pleasure to talk with you today. Thanks so much. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. 
You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>